such sights to show you. Welcome to the Ancient Slumber Podcast. My name is Chris Ward, and today I'm speaking to Myron Schmidt. Hi, Myron. Hello, Chris. Hello. How you doing? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm fantabulous, as they say. Wonderful. <laughs> are we ready to talk some films today? I think we are. We always do it anyways. Might as well do it where other people can... Other people can get upset about what we say. That's right. That's right. A common theme of me on Twitter that's, today. That's <laughs> uh, you know, you were talking about that. I remember three years ago, um, a couple of friends and me tweeted some disparaging mark about, remarks about Scott Stapp, and all three of his fans ganged up on us. <laughs> uh, I love it. it. It's like just like throwing a hand grenade in amongst. Just a group of people and seeing which ones get hit by the blast, isn't it? It sometimes it is. Oh, I love it. First world problems and all that. That sort of thing. <laughs> anyway, back to uh, back to film stuff. Um, yeah. So today we are going to talk a little bit about uh, a little film series that you may or you may not have heard of. Goes by the name of Hellraiser. Uh, absolutely. Ooh. Ooh. It's the perfect season for it. Halloween is coming. We have the Scarlet Gospels that was released a couple of months ago. It, mm-hmm. It's the perfect time to talk about Hellraiser. Absolutely. And also, and you didn't know this, so I'm going to give you some details now. In about a month's time, uh, we have a special edition box set coming out from Arrow Video. Why don't we have a company like Arrow Video here? You got We got Scream Factory. I, I know, but I don't know if the rights are so complicated and convoluted here to get but oh my goodness it's it oh we just don't get those kind of releases (laughs) oh it's a damn shame because i'm going to send you the link via uh there you go right yeah sorry that's not makes for good podcast listening does it no Oh, well, that's just me. Anyway, yeah, I've just sent you the link. Anyway, there's a Hellraiser Scarlet Box Limited Edition Trilogy box set coming out next month. It's rather expensive, but it's rather lovely. Is it all Blu-ray? Blu-ray. It's a 2K restoration of the trilogy. Oh, okay. Yes, that's impressive, isn't it? They just scored with 1, 2, and 3? Yes. Why did they add 4? I don't know. I honestly, I'm sure we'll get there when we talk about four. But okay, I think no. Yeah, I think they should. But over here, I don't know about in the US, but over here, I think four was the last one to get a theatrical release. So that sort of ties it in, I think, to those four. And plus, what happens at the ending of the fourth film, it sort of makes it a nice little story, I think. But yeah. Now, do you guys get uh, just out of curiosity? Do you guys get um, the download codes for movies? Like with uh, streaming codes, I should say, maybe it's a more better description. What, when you buy a Blu-ray? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. U- Ultraviolet, is it? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we get those. Yeah. I mean, do you, do, do you get them with, like, uh, Arrow video? Not with Arrow, no. Oh. Um, I wonder why they don't do that. I don't know. I'm sure they might do in the future. But uh, Why don't you get Arrow on the blower right now? Let's figure it out. I will. I'll get some, my friend Mark over at Arrow. <laughs> I'll, I'll get him online. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's so true. Um, I, I will always buy media. I Yeah. I vi- vinyl, CDs, DVDs, if it's only on DVD, Blu-ray doesn't matter i'll always buy it but i gotta say i'm i'm a huge fan of the ultraviolet codes i've got i do uh, use the ultraviolet codes because you know if i'm if i go away overnight working or whatever and you know i've got my kindle with me i can just sit and watch one of those films you know exactly but, and it, rather than carry it, a disc around with me but and that way you don't have to have 50 million blu-ray players in your house this is you, can have, you can have one blu-ray player to enjoy it and and hey, if you're in an office, you want to, you know, put a movie on while you're working, you can do that. It's a bit of a bastard if you go away on a holiday like I did in the summer, and you've got no Wi-Fi. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, yes, that that's a bit of a that's a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a niggle, as you might say. Yes, but uh, it, I I love the codes, but it's what what those codes have done is it's I've started buying movies from the store specifically with codes in them. Okay. I've shined away from buying used ones unless I can't get them anywhere else. Um, and I actually won't buy movies that have codes in them. Okay. I misread. I bought Indiana Jones Blu-ray. Yeah. And I, and I misread the back. It said digital version. But you got to flip it on the back and make sure it's actually an ultraviolet digital version, not just a – Not an down- iTunes one or something. Exactly. Yeah, I've and got I- a few iTunes ones. And I was so disappointed when I got home. I'm like, oh, really? Come on, Schmidt, you know? I bought Jaws on Blu-ray over here, and that had the code worked on Ultraviolet and iTunes. So sometimes, they do, sometimes they do that as well. Yeah, but like, I bought Skyfall, and that just had an iTunes code and not a not an Ultraviolet one. Well, over here, well, do you guys have the Best Buy Steelbooks over there? We have Steelbooks, not Best Buy ones. Okay, because I've got uh, I bought three of the limited edition, and they all come with ultraviolet codes. Oh, the Bond ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we got them over here. Yeah. Because they got the Daniel Craig trilogy all in one. All right. With with ultraviolet codes. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Hang on, I'm going to look that up while we're talking. Hang on. Yeah. Oh, blimey! Have you seen the Seven Steelbook set? Uh, we don't sell them as a set here. We sell them individually. That's I, I bought three of those yesterday. Yeah, you can buy them individually over here. There's also a seven James Bond limited edition steelbook set, uh, which is nearly two hundred pounds. Woohoo! Worth it though. <laughs> so they charge for us. They charge twelve bucks here. So seven times twelve, less than a hundred bucks. Bloody hell! So what ones did you buy? Of Daniel Craig? Um, it, no, 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 no. You only live twice. Uh, for your eyes only, and diamonds are forever. Okay, well, well diamonds are forever is on here. Uh, limited edition steelbook Blu-ray, thirty-four ninety-five, brand new. I paid twelve ninety-nine U.S. dollars. Oh man, uh, oh blimey! Was that from a specific store? Best Buy. Best, oh, of course, Best Buy. Yeah, oh yeah. So I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at Amazon. But yeah, I will get them as they come down. In, to be <sighs> fair, it's quite telling actually. Thirty-four ninety-five, brand new. Um, twenty quid used 
But then you don't know if you get the code with that or not, do you? Yeah, you probably won't get the code. It doesn't actually say anything about codes on here at all, so I'll have to investigate that. I, yeah. I, I was going to buy it regardless of a code. Yeah. But um, I, I read a review. Oh, and it comes with a UV code. Fine, I'm in. I'm sold. I bought last year the um, Batman 60s TV series box set. Yeah. The Blu-ray, the limited edition one that came out. Yes. Uh, and for some reason, the UK edition didn't come with the download codes, but the, oh. but the US edition did. And lots of people sort of went, oh, no, no codes. And Amazon, bless them, after, about a month after I bought it, I got an email from Amazon saying, you know, here are the UV codes you can use. So I've got those on uh, Ultraviolet as well. Oh, wow. Because I think there was a bit of an uproar about it that we didn't get it and everyone else did. So, Well, Walmart has um, has an online streaming service here that you can link to ultraviolet codes called Voodoo, V-U-D-U. Mm-hmm. And um, they have this disc-to-digital program where you could take your old C- DVDs. They'll give you the digital codes and you keep the DVDs. But I don't. I don't think the availability of films is is very big right now. I'd love to see them expand that list, but you know how it is. Yeah, yeah. Especially the sort of stuff that we watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm still finding stuff that you can't even get a DVD of. Hey, the one that comes to mind here is the Poughkeepsie tapes. Yes, it's yes. found footage. Yes, yes, yes. But there's no. I I don't know of a DVD. There may be one, but I just have never come across it. Uh, I seen that. I didn't see it on DVD. I saw it on online. I think so. Oh, well, there you go. I'm sure it'll keep on uh, developing the Palkiti tapes. Let's have a... No, there's no DVD listed here either. Okie dokie. Right, I suggest that we move on and talk a little bit about Hellraiser. You ready? I'm ready. Well, let's play a trailer. have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. in the room right Hellraiser 1987 directed by Clive Barker written by Clive Barker starring Andrew Robinson Claire Higgins Ashley Lawrence Doug Bradley Oliver Smith Sean Chapman uh, who else Oliver Parker Nicholas <laughs> Vince Simon Bamford <laughs> they're the main players I think 
Right. Um, I suppose... based, based on the novella, Hellbound the Hel- Heart. The Hellbound Heart, written by Clive Barker. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, that's I ought to do a synopsis, really, but Hellraiser is one of those films it's quite difficult to do a synopsis on, especially when, like me, you've got no notes and you do everything off the seat of your pants. So <laughs> I'm just going to read what's on IMDb, <laughs> even though I don't think it's scarily, uh, entirely accurate. But an unfaithful wife encounters the zombie of her dead lover. Demons are pursuing him after he escaped their sadomasochistic underworld. Ooh. That's right. Sounds like something I want to watch. <laughs> right then. So, Hellraiser, 1987. Uh, how did you first come across Hellraiser? 1987. I believe I watched it. I missed the theatrical release and caught it on a VHS release. Okay. Because it didn't I, – I mean the first one was really good, but then they franchised it. So you know, typically in the, in the 80s um, when they started franchising stuff is when it really got popular from my memory. Yeah. Um, it, it, like the Jason series. I remember seeing number two or number three in the theater. I don't remember which one. Um, but the other ones were, were scary, but not to my – Peers, because we were a little bit younger, we couldn't get into R-rated movies, so it's uh, it took us a while. And I think when they started franchising stuff, as we got older, as my generation got older, people my same age, um, is really when then you go back and you watch all the stuff, and that's where I first heard about Hellraiser and Pinhead was on a VHS release. What about yourself, there, Mr. Chris? Um, well, when Hellraiser first came out, I was about ten. And believe it or not, and it wouldn't happen nowadays, I can remember seeing TV spots for it. Uh, and being the age I was, I can't imagine it would have been late at night on the telly. So, but yeah, I can remember these TV spots of Hellraiser. It was the image of Pinhead, just like walking with the box, you know, like he is on the cover. Oh, right, right. And it was just sort of that, and, you know, and the the uh, quote, the Stephen King quote about, you know, Clive Barker, the future of horror. Yeah, yeah. And that was sort of plastered on it. Uh, and I remember that. An interesting note, when it came out on uh, on video to rent, I picked it up in the video shop and said to my mum, I want to watch this. Bear in mind, I've seen Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Demons, uh, you know, America, Wealth and London, all these horror films. And my mum sort of had this unwritten rule that as long as there was nothing too graphic on the cover, it was fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And on the back of the Hellraiser, the rental box was uh, a a big, large picture of the skinless Frank. Yes. Uh, and my mum just looked at it and went, "No, I don't think so." <laughs> and, and so Hellraiser is the only film my mum ever said no to renting for. Me. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street, the whole series was absolutely fine. You know, anything like that. Not a problem with Hellraiser, the only one she said no to. Uh, But it's not a problem because I've got an older sister. Ah. (laughs) So not long after, one Saturday afternoon, my mum and dad were out anyway. Of course. And my sister and her boyfriend came home from town and, oh, we've rented a couple of videos. What have you got? Oh, look, Hellraiser. I'll watch that. So consequently, when Hellraiser 2 came out and I said to my mum, can, can you rent that for me? She went, no. And I said, well, I've seen the first one. And she went, 
Oh, well, fair enough. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Good parenting. Now, was that... Uh, did Hellraiser come out after the video nasties? Yes. All that kind of stuff? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It came out sort of in that period when... You know the second Jake West documentary? Yes. That sort of period. But, okay. Um, okay. I don't. I don't remember there being I... any sort of controversy over it. Oh, all right, all right. There may well have been. Again, I was only like ten or eleven, something like that. So you know, there may have been, but I don't remember there being anything like that. Um, also, at the time, I think Nightmare on Elm Street three came out the same year, and that was immensely popular. Um, so I think I think horror, to a point, was sort of getting a little bit of mainstream sort of praise. And especially as people people had seen what the video nasty thing was and knew by then it was a load of old tosh. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Plug for those documentaries though; people should watch them. They're very interesting. Yes, the video nasties. Yeah, Draconian days and yeah, all that stuff. Yes, yes, yeah. very good. Plug for that. Unrelated plug, but they are extremely interesting. Yes, especially if you're not from the UK. Yes, exactly. <laughs> It's, gives, you an, uh, gives you an insight into our mindset. Well, yeah, but you know what? We do we do things on an equivalent equivalency of stupidity here as well. I mean, but you know, it's just the I love the scenes of raiding people's houses and shops because they were copying and duplicating. You know, you could get that, arrested. You could get arrested just for owning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was it was crazy. Yes. Yes, that's that's another discussion for another time, I think. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, so Hellraiser, yeah. Um, again, but, you know, being the age I was and not being able to see it, it was the image of Pinhead was amazing because I was massive on Freddy Krueger, you know, and Jason and Michael Myers and those sorts of villains. And Hellra uh, Pinhead sort of offered something a little different, I think. But I suppose until you see the film, you don't know what it is. But he's got this, this this regality about him, I suppose, is the right word. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, though, though, if you read um, the novella, hmm. they're jewel-encrusted pins. Yes. And I often wonder why they didn't do that. I, you know, I mean, uh, Clive Barker was intimately involved, so I'm reasonably sure that he made a decision. We're just going to do it this way. I think I would go with it's probably budgetary. Ah, ah. Because it's a very low budget film. It's only around about a million. That's true. Dollars or pounds or whatever. But and yeah. I don't think I don't think the bedazzler was invented then. So <laughs> no, no. Or a v or a vajazzler. Oh God, help me. <laughs> just, just no, no. The female Cenobite with one of those. That would be lovely. <laughs> I know. No, no. Not all even I Clive can, Barker's imagination could come up with all that. I, all I can think now is the movie Teeth. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what, what were your first impressions of... Of Hellraiser. Of, of Hellraiser. It's one of those films... I don't... I think it's a misunderstood film. I think it's not the wall-to-wall bloodbath that some would expect. It's not a slasher film. Nope. Although it... There are elements of that in there, obviously. Sure. Um, uh, for all intents and purposes, it's a love story, albeit a twisted love story. I think um, if you look at you know all of the the prominent horror authors, 
mm. at the at the time and even currently, I think I'd be hard pressed to find anybody who includes that that believable I hate to use this word, God help me, erotic sense to the work and to the movies. But yeah. Barker's a master at that. He he is absolutely absolutely a master at it. I think there's a difference between eroticism and titillation. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And slasher films gave you titillation. It gave you teenage kids, well, older teenage kids, I should say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> disclaimer. With with gigantic breasts bouncing on the screen. A- absolutely, yes. yes. Wh- which is, I'm obviously all for. Uh, <laughs> but there's it, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but there's also, you know, you get the titillation from the Friday the 13th films, if you know, kids or young adults, I should say, getting their kit off, uh, <laughs> which is... Oh, well and good. But, but yeah, th- th- there's something deeper going on with Clive Barker, if you excuse the, the phrase. It, uh, I think Clive would appreciate that. It, I think he would. But uh, yeah, it, often, it, it, it hit the senses more than just the eyes. I think that is probably a better way it, of saying it. And, and at that time, I, I'm hard-pressed to find a horror movie that did that. I've always called Hellraiser the punk rock of horror films. Yes, it yes. Came, it came along and it sort of looked at the old order and went, uh, we can do we can do something better than that. Right. Took it back to a, a grassroots level. I mean, at the time, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street did something similar in 1984 when you had your run of slasher films. Uh, and then Nightmare on Elm Street comes along and adds that sort of supernatural element, which the other films didn't have. Correct. That, that changes the game a little bit, but... I think Hellraiser just totally took that and just ran with it and said, you know, we're going to do something completely different, something you're not going to expect. Um, but yet, you know, if you're a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street, if you're a fan of Friday the 13th, you know, you're still going to get a lot out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even after multiple watches and, and rewatches and you get it, – it's almost – it's one of those films like the first Jason, like the first – Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, you you get a little something out of it each time you watch it. They're they will always stand the test of time. Yes, yes, and it, it gives you something you haven't seen before. Right, right. Okay, so let's move on to the film itself. So we've got our main characters. We got Larry, played by Andrew Robinson. Poor Larry. Poor Larry. Andrew Robinson I... from uh, Dirty Harry, of course. What do we think of him? What do we think of uh, of, of Andrew Robinson and the character of Larry? Uh, well acted. I, you just feel bad for the poor sap. Mm. <laughs> he just wants to be happy. He does because with, with his wife, and it just isn't going to happen. Because he's married to Julia, played by Claire Higgins. That's right. Uh, and Julia is uh, what's the word? I suppose at first you don't think she's going to be the major player, but she does turn out to be over the next couple of films. Yes, absolutely, especially in the second one. Yes, but we'll get there. So, yeah, so Larry's married to Julia. His his second wife. Correct. They've just moved now. Yeah, I'll say they've just moved to London. But there's something a lot of people uh, comment about on Hellraiser. Is it London? Is it America? What do you think? Do they even say? I don't remember. They moved from Brooklyn. That I know. Well, there's a line in it where Larry says to Julia, "We're back on your home turf." And okay. She's, and she's obviously British by her okay. accent. Okay. Um, I also know where it was filmed, so I know that it is London. <laughs> uh, and there's a shot of um, Larry's daughter, Kirsty later on, and she's walking along the London Docklands. 
Okay, gotcha. So, so it is in London. But later on in the film, there's a scene where Kirsty passes out and a crowd of people gather around her. The guy who speaks and says, are you all right, is American. He's got a New York Yankees hat on or something, and he's got an American accent. And then obviously when we get into the sequel, we'll get there as well, but the scene at the beginning is an American cop. He's got a gun in a sidearm. He's got an American cop uniform, and yet they're supposed to be in a British house. Ah, I never noticed that before. No, so there yeah, you go. Yeah, that's right, that's right. It's, uh, it's, it was a pandering to US audiences, basically, I think, that Clive Barker had to deal with. So that's why he never sort of um, came out and said which way it is. But, I mean, it, it's obviously London. You know, Larry drops the line, we're back on your home turf. But if we're on Julia's home turf, how come it's Larry's family home? Maybe it's like you said, they're just in London. Hmm. So there you go. Yeah, but it is his family home. It is his family home. They're moving back in there. Uh, Larry discovers that his brother, Frank, has been there because Frank's not a very nice person. He leaves pornographic pictures laying around. Yeah, well, Frank is just Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Frank is actually the first character we see in the film because he's buying the magical puzzle box. Which sends, which when he opens it, the hooks come out and drag him off to hell. I, I say hell, but it could be an, another region. Speaking of hooks, I have not. <laughs> Wait, when you said that, I, I just thought of the little woman from Police Academy. <laughs> I want right. to be a police officer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remember her in it. Oh, I remember her exactly. Um, <laughs> I haven't reread uh, the novella in quite a while, but I have just finished up probably last month or so uh, a reread of the Scarlet Gospels. A reread. A reread, okay. and they they do uh, talk a lot about his hooks, and they kind of come out of this tool he carries around. Hmm. Um, I thought that was just kind of interesting because the hooks of the movies fly out of nowhere. I think the impression I got from the Scarlet Gospels was that they come out of nowhere. Really. That was maybe, the vision I had, that he can just command them and they, they come. Maybe totally. maybe that was my own mental brain connection that I'm somehow associated with his little fisherman's tool thing or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, he does carry those tools on his belt. But, um, yeah, I, I just got the impression, you know, he clicks his fingers and they just appear sort of. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. But, uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, so uh, Frank's been dragged off to, to hell. Larry and Julia are moving into the old family home. Then what happens? Well, you know, Julia spends time fantasizing and whatnot, and then the the fateful day where it takes three big dudes to move a mattress. Uh, (laughs) Chris, I've moved a hundred times. It may take two people to move a mattress, but certainly not three. Yeah, I know. I moved moved one up my very own staircase the other day, and only two of us. Yeah, exactly. But to be fair, it was a bit of a twisty staircase. It was, it was, and, uh, you know, then, of course, poor Frank, poor Frank, cuts himself, goes to the room where Julia's... Larry, you mean, Larry cuts himself. Larry uh, goes to the room where poor Julia's spending an inordinate amount of time and drips his blood on the floor, and uh, voila, we have, uh, you know, freeze-dyed Frank being reconstituted. (laughs) Yeah, so basically we've discovered that Julia had an affair with Frank just after she got married to Larry. Uh, she's upstairs having a bit of a bit of a naughty think about it. Yep, 
Larry cuts his hand, moving this mattress, walks into the room that she's in, drips blood on the floor, they go off to hospital, and then we get a scene which I think is amazing, which is Frank's body coming back to life. Yes. Yeah, it is Frank, sorry. Yeah, what do we think of that scene? Uh, we think it's really good. We do, don't we? <laughs> we because um, it, no legs at first, he kind of squirms around and somehow convinces Julia that, A, it's Frank, and B, I need some help. <laughs> and she yeah. says, sure, whatever you need. Yeah, he appears, he says, Julia, I need some more blood. you got to get it for me. And she says, oh. That's right. Because right. she, wants, she wants a bit of Frank loving. That's right, exactly. <laughs> but we also discover that Frank is being chased. By... By Pinhead, by Pinhead and Company, yes. Ah, ever... he's, uh, he's not Pinhead. I was going to say, they don't call him Pinhead. No, he doesn't get referred to as Pinhead till the third one. That's correct. Yes, and that's only as an insult. Yes. Which is addressed in the Scarlet Gospels, of course. Yes, quite prominently. Yes. Quite prominently. But yes, we have the the Cinnabites with uh, chasing him. But they're chasing him, but we don't know that they're chasing him until the very end. No. We only know what Frank tells us, that the Cinnabites will come looking for him. And obviously, events happen, things happen, and eventually, I'm skipping over the film here, eventually we get to meet those Cenobites. And yes. I love I love that scene where we first see them. And we have the Chatterer, we have... Bar- Bar- Did Barbie Wilde play the first one? No, no, it was Grace Kirby. We have Grace Kirby, because I don't know what to call the open neck lady... And uh, it's just female Cenobite. I believe that Grace Kirby is related to Clive Barker. Oh, okay. And then we've got the Job of the Hut one. Butterball. Yep. And then we've got, uh, you know... The man his, himself. His Highness. Yes. Pinhead, played by Doug Bradley, of course. Yep. Uh, Butterball by Simon Bamford. As you said, Grace Kirby plays the female Cenobite. And Nicholas Vince plays Chatterer. Uh, I've met Nicholas Vince. Have you? And Simon Bamford. Oh, very nice. Yes, I went to a screening of uh, Hellraiser 1 and 2 in Birmingham a couple of years back. So uh, that bloke must be quite popular over there, the Mr. Barker. Yes, oh yes. Yes, there's a big Clyde Barker following over here. Yeah, very good. So, I, my little claim to fame, I was actually stood in front of Simon Bamford when he took the phone call to get the release date on the Nightbreed Director's Cup. And I was the first person he told. Oh, very nice. <laughs> he told me before he told Nicholas Vince. <laughs> <laughs> now, did they both play monsters in the... In, in the uh, yes. Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, Simon Bamford plays the one who explodes in the sun. Okay. So they, they torture him and he blows up. And Nicholas Vince plays when Boone first hits Midian and he gets grabbed by, by somebody, doesn't he? He puts a knife to his throat. Yes, yes. That's, that's Nicholas Vince, the half moon head. Gotcha. That's Nicholas Vince, yes. Very nice guy, very nice guy. And he's also done written some very good uh, fiction as well. Well, not to digress, but there was a whole book, and I don't remember the name of it right now. I don't have my my e-reader with me, written by uh, – all written around the Clive Barker universe for Hellraiser. Uh, Hellbound Hearts. Yes, that's it. Yes. Barbie Wilde had a nice story in there. Yeah, the uh, yeah the sort of origin of the female Cenobite. Yep. Absolutely. But anyway, anyway, so we we, we get to meet Pinhead, and we – I think one of the interesting things we don't 
learn a lot about the Cenobites. No. We learn that they're from hell, but we don't have any context other than that statement. No. And it's nice that the next couple of movies flesh a little bit of that out. And yeah. don't just go don't just go after like a straight let's just throw Pinhead in there, he cuts up a bunch of people, something happens, somebody closes the box and we're done. They take some time over the next couple of movies to develop it, which I think really adds and bolsters um, the viability of those sequels. Yeah, they're creating a mythology, aren't they? Yeah. Which is good. And it's not just when you say hell. I mean, we'll get there a bit more on the second film, but it's not you know, a big fiery pit with a big demon. It's not the sort of the Christian version of hell. Right. It's, it's Clive Barker's version. It's, it's a more personal version, isn't it? Yes. Which I think works very well. Oh, it does. So, yeah, so basically what's happened is Kirsty's got the box off of Frank. She's opened it. The Cenobites have arrived and said we want we ha- we can't go back without taking a soul. So Kirsty, who is Larry's daughter, which we didn't mention, strikes a deal with Pinhead and says, if I can bring you Frank, will you let me go? Which is basically the last act of the film. But they have to hear it from his mouth. They have to hear him confess with his own lips. That's right. As they say. So she goes back to the house. She confronts... She is greeted by Julia, who lets her in, and she sees her father, Larry, sat there. But it's not Larry. That's right. It's Frank. He's taken Larry's skin. And left a big steaming carcass in that naughty room. In the naughty room, yes. (laughs) Is that like the naughty step? Uh, yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yep, yep. And so, eventually, Kirsty comes to realize this is not, uh, father. And then Pinhead shows up and things progress. Things progress indeed. And then, once Pinhead has his man with Frank and proceeds to rip him apart with a wonderful line that was ad-libbed by uh, Andrew Robinson. Did you know that? I did not know that. No, when he says Jesus wept. Really? Yes. Yeah, Andrew Robinson ad-libbed that. The original line was just fuck you, which wouldn't really work. No. Sounds a bit of a cop-out. Yes, so Andrew Robinson did that and Clive Barker left it in. Yeah. Which is very good. Uh, So, yep, so the Cenobites have got Frank. They've pulled him apart. He's now dead, but Pinhead changes the rules. And now comes after Kirsty. That's right. And as the film ends, we see Kirsty dispensing with the Cenobites and then greeted with a big winged demon thing which takes the box from her. That's correct. Close credits. Right, Hellraiser, what do we think? Five out of five, ten out of ten, whatever you want to go. Yeah, I'll go with that as well. It, it, it's it's just one of those um, classics. It is. It is. I'm sure we've simplified it. <laughs> in our little discussion of but, course uh, of course uh yeah it's just one of those films it's it's not what you think it is going in yes it is gory yes it is gruesome but it's not you know it's not cannibal holocaust it's uh there's a story there's a mythology there's a a care and attention to it i would say yes yes uh even though it's low budget you know it doesn't matter I think the only bits where that re- the budget comes through is when you see the close-ups of the skin and the hooks going in. Yes, yeah. I think that that's the only scenes where you think could be done better, but I'm sure the 2K Blu-rays that come out will uh, rectify that. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> but 
but in this in this age of CGI shit shows that nobody really wants to see, it's lovely to see those old school effects. The the makeup is fantastic. Yep. It yep. really is. I mean, Pinhead obviously, you know, just coming up with the concept for it is pretty amazing and then to actually make a practical effect that makes Doug Bradley into into Pinhead is I still think it's phenomenal. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the other Cenobites as well look pretty good. Chatterer I think looks really good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Although I I do prefer Chatterer in the second film because there is a difference. There is. There is. He's got I, eyes. I I don't know if I, I I don't know. I never thought about it. Yeah, he hasn't got eyes in the first film. Well, the second film we get to see a little more of what's happening with the mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see Pinhead keep his word. We get to see um, Kirstie continuing to kick ass. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk for a minute about her. Let, let's look at her against something okay. like Laurie Strode, the character. Well, I... You say that I was actually thinking um, Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, there's a there's a reason why I pick Laurie Strode. Okay, is, she's a she's kind of a throwback of a, of an accidental hero that just spends a lot of time running around and screaming. She takes care of business, but she does it haphazardly. I hmm. I don't think we get that with Kirsty. She's strong, kick ass from the first movie through the second movie, plain and yes. simple. There's no whining. There's no crying. There's no, you know, any of that. She's very, very strong character through the whole movie, just like in Nightmare of Elm Street. Yeah, yeah. She hasn't got time to sit there and cry about it. She'll just get on with business first. Yeah, exactly. We'll worry about all that other stuff later. Yeah. Yeah. A great performance as well by Ashley Lawrence. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think she'd done much prior to Hellraiser. I don't think she was a particularly known actress, was she? I don't think so. I don't. Hmm. I don't think so. But uh, there we go. Yep. Yeah. So that's Hellraiser, really. Uh, we've given it a rating, and we're giving it full marks. Really, it's a ten out of ten film. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I still get enjoyment out of it when I watch it now, as I did then. Absolutely. And I'm still finding things in it that I haven't seen before. And it's one of those movies you can watch the um, the audio commentary. And yes. Get stuff out of it. Yes, the uh, the DVDs came with Clive Barker's commentary. Is that the one you watched? Yes, Ashley Lawrence and Clive Barker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good commentary. Yeah, this one was the uh, the one I saw was the Anchor Bay one. Yes, I have that on DVD. On yes. uh, Blu-ray. Yeah. Now the other ones I have are all just you know. Uh, the uh, Echo Bridge kind of collections, Miramar type of collections, uh, with no commentary or no bub kiss. Oh, have you just got the first one, the Anchor Bay one then? Yes. All right, okay. There's a box set that came out over here on DVD years ago by Anchor Bay, which has got the first three on. And I think there's commentaries for all three films. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Yes, there is, because I have watched them before. But yeah, okay. Uh, the The... The new one that's coming out from Arrow says there are commentaries, but it hasn't nothing specific. So it doesn't say whether they're new ones or or not. I I wouldn't think that they'd be too new. Um, I mean, you know, Clive Barker did not go on a gospel, uh, Scarlet Gospels book tour. I don't think. No. I, I think he's under the weather lately. 
Yeah, I don't think his health's too clever. Yeah, so I I don't know, you know, even if he would have been up to doing a new commentary. Here we go. I'm sure we'll find out in a few weeks' time. Exactly. Well, you will. I will. <laughs> I won't. I'll, t- I'll tell you what it's like. Well, you yeah. can buy one. You just can't play it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Arrow in the US, they've been putting out some good titles, so you, you might get it. These movie rights are nuts. I know. Yeah, I mean, it's because it's all by different countries, and it's just crazy, isn't it? I want a Blu-ray special edition of Shocker, the Wes Craven film. We have one here. I know. Screen Factory. Factory did it. I know, but we haven't got one over here. I keep bugging Arrow Video about it. I'll just keep going until they do it. Well, <laughs> is it, maybe it's a rights issue for them. They can't. They're tied up at the moment. Well, yeah, but, I mean, they put out People Under the Stairs and Deadly Blessing not so long ago, which are Wes Craven films, so... Correct, yep. Uh, yep. There's also another company over here called Fabulous Films who just put out a Blu-ray of Serpent and the Rainbow. So, you know, th- there is an interest, I think, in Wes Craven films. It's obviously with, within passing in the past few weeks as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is a massive shame, massive loss, obviously. Oh, absolutely. A- absolutely, it's... uh. You know, in a lot of ways, we wouldn't be where we are horror-wise without Wes Craven. Oh, no, no, absolutely. He uh, he changed the game on more than one occasion, really. Yep, yep. Yep. Not the, I mean, I'll be, my opinion, not the most consistent of directors. No, no. Not not when you put, you put up that 10-year run that John Carpenter had from Halloween to They Live. Yes, exactly. And then you compare what Wes Craven did in that time, you know, up and down. But, you know, when he got it right, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street, Hills Have Eyes, Serpent and the Rainbow, Scream, you know. Yeah, and look at what Scream did in the 90s. I mean, it, most people would argue that Scream essentially saved horror movies. Well, I don't know about saved it. Uh, well, reinvent, reinvented it. Yeah, we were going down a dark path. Yeah. And not, and not a good one. No. We'll, we'll have that discussion another time. Exactly. Right. Let's wind up Hellraiser then. Uh, we love it. It's great. Go watch it. Uh, let's move on to Hellraiser 2. The vision is renewed. The power is reawakened. Fear is reborn because they have returned. Time to play. Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Brace yourself for terror you have never imagined. Your suffering will be legendary, even in hell. And horrors you can never escape. And you wanted to know. Now you know. Last year, they brought hell to earth. Now, they'll take you through hell. Hell bye.
Hellraiser 2. Time to play. Hellraiser 2. Oh, uh, Hellbound Hellraiser 2. It, yes. Um, first off, let's have a little discussion about – before we talk about the film. Mm-hmm. I have to say that it is a most worthy sequel. It is. It's a good sequel. Mm-hmm. It's not a shit sequel. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love to see that on the poster art. Hellbound Hellraiser 2, not a shit sequel. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, let's go – we could just start naming sequels, but Exorcist sequel, Jaws sequel, <laughs> some of the paranormal sequels, some of the other sequels. I mean, dear lord. Yeah. It, it was it was a good movie. It took the concepts in the first and fleshed them out in a good story. It had a great story behind it. It shows that even Pinhead left had rules he played by and stuck with them. You know, it was a, it was a good story. Yeah. Okay. Let's give a little bit of a little bit of fact here. Hellbound Hellraiser two, nineteen eighty eight, although not released in the UK until nineteen eighty nine. Which is when I saw it. Uh, directed by Tony Randall, based on a story by Peter Atkins and Clive Barker, and it stars Claire Higgins, Ashley Lawrence, Sean Chapman, Doug Bradley, Simon Bamford, Barbie Wilde, Nicholas Vince, Kenneth Cranham, Imogen Borman, Oliver Smith, and I think that's the main cast covered. I think it is. I think, I think it, it is. is. Okay, so in this story, it's the aftermath of the first film. The police. The American police are in Kirsty's father's London home <laughs> for some reason. Exactly. <laughs> and they're, of course, not talking to any police. They're talking to some doctor, in quotes. Doctor, played by Kenneth Cranham. Yep. Who plays Dr. Chenard, and he is overseeing Kirsty's treatment at his institute. Right. Which, again, looks very American. So, um, yeah, so let, let's, um, let's take a tour of the basement. Did you recognize any of the actors in the basement? Um, Oliver Smith is one of them. He's the guy who cuts himself with the razor. And he also plays the skinless Frank. Yes. Was not the original Crazy of the Hills Have Eyes, was he not also in the basement? Michael Berryman? Yeah. I don't think so. I think so, too. No, I don't think so. You don't? Well, son of a bitch. What did I, who did I see? I thought I saw him. Maybe he played it in the sequel. There's probably lots of bald maniacs. <laughs> I could sit in there, really. I'd fit that description. That's right. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. That's a new one on me, if it is. No, he's not listed anywhere. Okay. Oh, I think you're making things up. I think I had a mis- misbrain fire. You've had there. too many blue smarties, I think. I think that's what it is. <laughs> Yeah, that could be. That could no. be. But no. So anyway, Dr. Chenard and his assistant Kyle McRae, played by William Hope from Aliens. Did you notice that? I did not. But, no, now, he... but now that you mention it, yes. Now it... Plays, it plays Gorman in Aliens. Yep. Yep, they're overseeing Kirsty. Kirsty starts to tell her story of what happened at the house, which obviously per- uh, piques Chenard's interest. For we, discover- we don't even know why, but it does. We don't know why but at that moment, but we do find out later on that Chenard is into all of this stuff. That's right. Which I think is the quote. 
<laughs> I think you're close. Yes. But in in his house, he's got uh, copies of the puzzle box, and he's got maps and drawings and all sorts of occult paraphernalia. So uh, he's into all this stuff. Uh, basically, the mattress that Julia died on in the first film is taken to his house. The police evidence mattress, mind the you. The police evidence mattress, because he <laughs> just phones up and says, take it to my house. They say, all right. I know. The American cops in London. Yeah, the, the, the American cops in London, which is a great film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, take it to my house. There's a key under the mat. Let yourselves in. Have a bottle of Coke, whatever you like. They leave it on the floor. Uh Kyle and Kirsty go to his sneak into his house uh, and witness the resurrection of Julia through the mattress. Uh, and then from there on in, it's return of the Cenobites, return of Kirsty, return of Julia, all fighting in hell. Yes. This time it's on their turf. Yes. So, what do we think about this one? Um, we really like this one too. Mm. I get a top marks here again. Um, oh, I may disagree with you. Ah, uh, top marks. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, scenes in in the Cenobite world were were well done, interesting. Um, really expanded the mythology. You know, kind of gave a little bit of background, but not necessarily too much background. Um, the, the Cenobites, at least initially, did not want to touch Imogene because she was an innocent Tiffany. The character's Tiffany. The actress is called Imogen. Yes, that, that's that, that's I didn't remember her actress name or her character name. Don't you think she looked like Brad Pitt in Interview for a Vamp- Interview with a Vampire? No, she did. Look at that no, jawline. No, no, we can't insult Tiffany like that. That's that's <laughs> horrible. Could have been worse. Could have been Tom Cruise. <sighs> God, the, <laughs> oh, it, barely worse. <laughs> But uh, um, I, I really enjoyed. It. I, I love the the mythology that they kind of built up, and it it to me it was well acted, well done. The only drawback for me was how they kind of made the doctor guy quote unquote stronger than Pinhead, if you will. Yes, and and that's the only detractor. Um, that is a common complaint it, because. He's a newly turned, newly manufactured Cenobite. How does he become this, like, you know, it, it, it was a little weak. It was a little I th- weak. I think it sort of taps into my little niggles I have with this film. Um, well, do tell, I, do tell. I do love Hellbound Hellraiser 2. I think it's great. You know, I can't watch the first one and not watch the second one, you know. Yes. And I think if you watch them together, they make one wonderful film yes they do but um i think like you say there's a bit there's a bit of inconsistency in the mythology the way that um chenard's cenobite just comes on and kills pinhead within 10 seconds um all the other cenobites are sort of discarded with you know a wave of the hand yeah wave of the hand they're gone very quickly um i think the film spent a lot of time building up these characters and the mythology very well um, and I think they got to a point where they said right we need to get this character in the room with these people and then we need to finish it pretty quickly <laughs> and I, th- I think that's that comes across um, the film overall I think 
there's a surreal element to it that isn't in the first film. Uh, you know, the scenes where they come back from hell to the hospital and all the patients are sat there with puzzle boxes and all those sorts of scenes. Sure. There's a real disconnect to those scenes which don't seem to make much sense. Um, I like the imagery of it, though, but narratively it just doesn't flow. Oh, I don't, I don't ever take it as they're coming back to the actual hospital in that particular... I'll just assume that they're just part of the Cenobite world and just transferring into their own personal, oh shit, we're back at the hospital. What if we went back to yeah. the hospital and everybody was crazy? Yeah. yeah, you can view it that way as well. Yes, that works either way, I think. Um, I, know, I get the feeling that there's there's more to this film that we haven't seen. I wouldn't be surprised if it came out that there was some like scenes that were shot that were never included. Oh, there has to be. Oh, it, there it, has to be. It just feels to me like there's stuff missing that make it flow a bit more. Yes. I, mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. But, yeah. But I still like it. I just think it's it's, it's over with a bit too quickly once you've set up these, these brilliant sort of fight scenes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I, – I can definitely see that. I, I didn't care for the big rotating cube thing. I could have done without that effect. Leviathan, I uh, I, it didn't really add anything. I think that, again, that may be budgetary. I do like the matte paintings, though, that it's set against. That whole oh, yeah. image of, oh, of God, hell as a series of labyrinths. I think absolutely, fantastic. absolutely. Um, what did, oh, did you like um, the beginning bit where we see the making of Pinhead? I did. I love that. I really did. What makes me laugh on that, You won't. this won't mean anything to you, but on the beginning bit where you see the camera pan out from the, raid, the World War One radio that Captain Elliot Spencer's listening to? Yes. There's a, On the dial of the radio, there's a list of different cities. It's got, like, London, Manchester, Liverpool, whatever. And I think it's there's some places like Paris and exotic... In amongst them is Droitwich, which means nothing to you, but basically it's a tiny little town in the Midlands about five miles from where I live. Ah! <laughs> nothing happens. There's nothing there. I don't know why it's on his radio. <laughs> Somebody in the somebody in the crew or made a prop was from Droitwich. Yeah, it's just like London, Paris, New York, and Droitwich. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. <laughs> but yeah, great scene though where you see Captain Elliot Spence. He's a World War One officer who's seen everything the worst of humanity has to offer. Uh, he gets hold of the puzzle box, opens it, and is created into Pinhead. Uh, do we know why he's made a Cenobite straight away? We don't. Do we? No. I can only assume that it's because his desire was stronger, maybe. Not made into one right away. Essentially, I guess, appointed the leader right away. Mm. I don't know. Having read the Scarlet Gospels and the way that the Pinhead character is sort of seen as this ambitious, determined character, I can only assume that his will was stronger. That he wanted, he wanted to get there quicker, sort of thing. I could go. I could get along with that. Again, it's nothing that's definite. It's just, I suppose, it's interpretation, isn't it? And you got to think if we go on the on the on the Chris theory of things, that even that scene is a little bit rushed. They kind of force it through rather quickly. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, it's fine as it is. Oh, sure, sure. I think. Yeah, if we could have seen more, it would have been great. I don't know. You've read some of the comics and graphic novels, haven't you? I have, but it's been a long time. All right. All right. I've got a couple here. I've got like issue one and issue five, so I'm waiting till I get the whole lot before I read them. But uh, yeah, I, th I know Captain 
Elliot Spencer comes back in a low story, so maybe there's more, issue, more to tell there. Issue five is that the the ending of the Hellraiser comics is that include like number issue twenty and all that. Yeah, I've got the trade paperbacks. Yeah. So I think it's like twenty comics pushed down into like five books, you know. Yep, 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 yep. There, yeah. there were twenty. Yeah, and, I've got I've got the first one and the fifth one. And incidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, there were actually earlier than that Pinhead comics as well. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They always do. That. There's loads of different people take up the the story, didn't they? Yep. And I think it was a I think it was a Marvel run, not a very big run, but it was a Marvel run. Oh, uh, can we can we put Pinhead in the Marvel Cinematic Universe then? With Iron Man and Hulk and things. <laughs> they have a hard enough time getting that shit right, anyways. Why? Are they? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'd love that in Avengers, the third Avengers film. <laughs> the magic chains. <laughs> yeah, just walk in and just rip everyone apart. That's right. Love it. That's right. That's right. Wolverine, Wolverine versus Pinhead. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure it's been bantied about before. Oh, there's probably a fan fiction thing somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure there is. <laughs> Hugh Jackman versus Doug Bradley. I'd like to do that. <laughs> No, Hugh Jackman, please. We've had enough. No, he's he's all right. We've had enough. No, we've had enough. Uh, He'll be replaced by Tom uh, Tom Hardy anyway, eventually. Of course. It's bound to happen, either that or Idris Elba, because they're determined to shoehorn him into the franchise they can. (laughs) Oh, that winds me up, that does. Every franchise, Idris Elba tipped for starring role. No, he's not, though, is he? (laughs) You just want to shove him in there. Oh, hey. Mm. At least it's not David Beckham saying, yeah, I'd play the next Bond. Oh, yeah, what's that all about? <laughs> He's an idiot, that's what. Fuck's sake. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I mean, I mean the, the Bond thing, I mean, I've no issue with Idris Elba if he wants to play Bond. That's great. My reason is that I wouldn't be that keen on it is he's in his 40s now. So by the time Daniel Craig's done a couple more films, which he will do, you know, Idris Elba's going to be approaching 50, at yep. least. Yep. He'll be too old. Yep. I'm sure the Eon Productions will pick the right person. At the time. My money's on Dan Stevens. Do you know Dan Stevens? I don't know Dan Stevens. Have you seen The Guest? I have not. Ah, you should watch that. You'll like that. Okay. Yeah, well, Dan Stevens is, uh, he was in Downton Abbey. Which who did you, who did you play in Downton Abbey? Oh, I don't know because I don't watch it. But I'm gonna have to have a speak to your missus about that. <laughs> oh, she'll be watching it tonight. The new series. Yeah, Downton Abbey. He played Matthew Crawley. Yes. Okay, that's who I thought he was. Now that you're yes. saying it, okay. Yeah. Well, he's in a film called The Guest. Okay. Which, is ve- which you'll love. It's very. Um, it's done by Adam Wingard. Who did oh, next? I, I I like Adam Wingard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's in that. Uh, he plays the titular guest in the character, and I think he's got potential for a Bond. There you go. I think you're good. You I s- think he's he's you, my shout. We said it here first. Yeah, I think he's the right age by the time Daniel Craig gives it up. Not, I think he's got- not to digress, but what, what's the deal? Is he got Daniel Craig's got two more movies after this? Uh, I don't know specifically. I think... Spectre is is Spectre the last one he's contracted for? Is he contracted for one more? And then after that, I think 
it may be a film by film basis. Okay. What they did with Roger Moore, he he was contracted to do like X amount of films, and then after that, it was just contract a film by film basis. And I think they'll probably do the same thing with Daniel Craig. I don't think they're going to shoo him off just yet, but from his side of things, I don't think he enjoys it that much. Why? Have you not always oh, grumpy about Bond? He's a bit like Sean Connery. Doesn't like people talking to him about it. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a massive Daniel Craig fan anyway, but um, yeah, you know, you get someone like Roger Moore or Piers Brosnan, you know, they'll go to the opening of an envelope if there's a James Bond connection, you know? <laughs> right. You know, they love it, you know, because yeah. that's their thing. But you get, the, you know, if you went up to Roger Moore in the street and said, you know, I'm a big James Bond fan, can you sign my DVD? He would, you know, and he'd talk to you about it. If you went up to Daniel Craig and said, would you sign my Casino Royale DVD? He'd probably beat you around the head with it. See, really? I did not, I did not know this. Yeah, oh yeah, that's what, that, that's what I get coming out of it anyway. But uh, That's too bad. He's, Daniel Craig's a decent Bond. Well, that's again, that's an argument for another day. But, uh, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. That can... I'm very, very passionate about my Bond. Uh, I've been watching, I'm a lifelong James Bond fan, so. Yeah, same here. But uh, we'll get there. Anyway, back to Hellraiser 2. <laughs> we, what are we talking about? I don't even know. Ah, <laughs> uh, we're talking about some of the effects of the. Yeah, the Cenobite part of hell, the big, the big uh, claymation penis that comes out of Chenard's head. <laughs> it's a very phallic film. This you can tell Clive Barker's had a bit of influence, can't you? <laughs> Maybe he's watched too much Bad Biology. I don't know. <laughs> I'd love Bad Biology directed by Clive Barker. That oh, would be interesting. oh Lord! <laughs> but uh, it, you know. There, there are those niggles. You were talking about your niggles, and yeah, there, there are those, there are those rubs with those parts of the movie for sure. I still give it high marks though because oh yeah, absolutely, it, it's a, it's a good sequel. It, it doesn't necessarily follow the recipe, but it, it provides more. It expands on it. Expands on it. Yeah, I think for me, it's probably sort of a. An eight and a half out of ten film. Oh, okay. You know, I I love it. I'll sit there and I'll watch it. But they say there are those little bits and pieces that I look at and think, mm, maybe that could have been changed. Maybe they could have done that a little better. But you know, I'm not the filmmaker, so. I wonder if Clyde Barker had written it, what would have happened? He did write it. Did he? But he wrote the story. I didn't think he did the screenplay. Ah, I don't know if he did the screenplay. He wrote the story. Uh, Peter Atkins did the screenplay. Yeah. But, you know, it's still got the hand of Clive Barker over it. You can feel that. Yes. So to speak. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think tonally it fits in with the second, the, the first film as well. It does. I love, it still feels very, I don't like this word, but I think it describes it very grungy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's, it feels like a low budget film. It feels raw. Uh, you can tell it's got a little bit more money than the first film. It definitely, you can definitely tell that. You know, and the same people involved, um, obviously bringing Kenneth Cranham in, he's a very well-respected actor. Not the sort of film I think that he would normally do. Just, he was at the, he was at that uh, screening I went to, and he was saying, you know, out of all the films and think TV that he's done, it's still Hellraiser that people talk to him the most about. 
and he doesn't really understand why. <laughs> you know, he's a classically trained actor. He's done theatre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, same as Claire Higgins, who plays Julia, you know. Right, so yeah, so there we go. Cenobites this time. Again, just I, Barbie Wilde obviously replacing Grace Kirby as the female Cenobite. Yes. Yes. Do, do we think that's an improvement? I think so. Oh, I think so. I love Barbie Wilde. She's great. I think so. Yes. Have you read her book? I've not read her book. I just read her short stories. Yeah, the one that was in the uh, Hellbound Hearts. Yes. Okay. She did a book, a novel called The Venus Complex a couple of years ago. Well, do tell. Is it good? Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's a real sort of um, dark crime thriller with eroticism and murder and all sorts in it. Oh, all right. Yeah, fantastic story. Very much. It did remind me, in a way... I don't know, I might be completely off the ball here, but it reminded me of sort of a bit of a Silence of the Lambs type thing. Oh! That sort of cry, the way of detailing the crime. Quite graphic. Very cool. Graphic, but not very, but not sort of, you know... Okay. Uh, not Friday the 13th-ish, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, really, really good book. Really good story. What else have we got? Chatterer is obviously a little different. He's got eyes in this film, which I think make him look a little bit more evil. I did not notice that. But if nah. he did have eyes, I would definitely say that would add to his evilness. <laughs> yes. Evil. Yes. Uh, Butterball doesn't really do much in this film, but he's still a, a background presence. And we have some new ones, though, in this film, right? We got the camera guy. We got the... That's, that's the third film. Ah, oh, Jesus. Yes. Hold your, hold your horses. We'll get there in a minute. <laughs> and obviously the man himself, Pinhead, played by Doug Bradley again. Yep. Obviously being completely regal. Um, He's got a bit more to say in this film. Yes, uh, yes he does. But we're not quite at the Freddy Krueger level of quips and one-liners yet. But I like his um, uh, his interactions with Kirsty when she first goes into hell. I love those scenes where he's telling her to look around and, you know, your father's in his own hell. He's far out of our reach and all that sort of stuff. Yep, yep. Really sort of sets up the scale of where they are and what they're doing. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so that's Hellbound Hellraiser 2. We should move on to Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. That's where, you get, a... that's where we get the new Cenobites. That's where we get the new Cenobites. Let's play a clip. In Hellraiser 1, Clive Barker showed you his vision of a private hell. In Hellraiser 2, he took you on a journey inside the Inferno. Terror returns in mankind's final confrontation with evil. And this time, it's going to be Hell on Earth. Great club. I really love it here. It's a great club. Not quite. Just give me the box. Ready for your close-up?
ladies first. Max, ah. baby. This is better than sex. It's so good to be back. Clive Barker presents Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. And we're back. Okay, Hell on Earth, Hellraiser 3. Shall I, do you want a few details? Yeah, let's do a few details. From 1992, directed by Anthony Hickox. Uh, story by Peter Atkins, who did Hellraiser 2. Uh, Clive Barker's got a little bit of involvement in this one, I think. Uh, this time we have got Ken Carpenter, Terry Farrell, Lawrence Mortoff, Kevin Bernhardt, Doug Bradley, back again. Uh, and even Peter Atkins himself makes an appearance. This time around, an investigative reporter must send the newly unbound Pinhead and his legions back to hell. Right, right. So, Pinhead's back on Earth in a statue. In a statue. What are the, the Pillar of Souls or something like that? Something like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a rich, uh, do we call him a playboy? Nah, we just call him an idiot. Just a twat, really, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's J.P. Monroe, played by Kevin Bernhardt. I always think he looks like one of the guys from New Kids on the Block. <laughs> What's his name? Knight? Jordan Knight, is it? I, mean? I don't know, but yeah, I could fit it. Yeah. 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 He, to me, he looks like him. But yeah, he's a, a rich nightclub owner who's full of himself. Uh, he buys the uh, Pillar of Souls, puts it in his personal apartment above his nightclub, and brings a young lady back there, treats her like crap, and then offers her up to Pinhead, who appears from the uh, pillar. That's right. And from then on in, Pinhead is back, but he's a bit different. Initially, he's just a talking statue. Initially, he's a talking statue, but he's now un- unbound from the rules of hell, apparently. Yep, that's that's what they say. He don't owe nobody nothing. What did you think of the opening scene? The opening scene, which is... Is that the hospital scene? That's the hospital scene. Uh, I quite like the actual death in it. That was very well done. Um, I think it's obvious from that scene that we're dealing... We're obviously in, in America now. There's no British connection to this film. Right. Uh, it's very much... Is it, where was it filmed? Was it Chicago or somewhere? It's got that sort of feel to it. It does. New York, Chicago, one of those places. Absolutely. Ah, not far from you, I don't think, actually. North Carolina. Ah, Really? Yes. I'm just looking on now. Uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. That's where I live. (laughs) (laughs) You don't recognize it? No! Wake Forest University? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was filmed there. It was filmed at Nations Bank Plaza in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, that's down the road a piece. And High Point, North Carolina. That's down the road a piece, but closer than Charlotte. That's there you go. <laughs> Didn't even know that. That's, well, that's no. Don't new. recognize a damn place in it. No, I think to be fair, I think there's a lot of matte paintings and different backgrounds put up in this film. Yeah, I would think so. I think so. I got a Chicago vibe off of it. Absolutely, Chicago or New York. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there we go. So yeah, we're in New York. Uh, no, we're not. We're in America. We're in a hospital. There's a kid been brought in who's got chains coming out of him that disappear into nowhere. And then his head is pulled apart. The thing that bothers me about the opening scene is I, I understand that's how they got to get the the lead actress into the story. They kind of just push it in. But yeah, it, where do the chains come from? 
Yeah, they go off into nowhere. Because, well, no, but I mean, think about where the chains come from, because unless they came from the Pillar of Souls before J.P. Morgan bought it, but he's bought it but doesn't know what it does yet, so where would the chains come from? Had to come from, but and it had his girlfriend there. Mm, Oh, I see what you mean. Not Morgan, I mean Monroe. But, um, so that, I mean, it just is kind of a, almost like a scene thrown in there where it's like, Okay, we got to move this along. Let's just chunk this in. Yeah, I see. We can't. yeah, I never really thought about that before. Yeah, yeah, because if if Pinhead's supposed to be dormant, then yeah, who's operating the chains? Uh, that's right. Guess you could argue that the Pillar of Souls at another location got him, but what is JP's girlfriend doing there? That's true. And, yeah. Okay. And that, that kind of bugged me. All right. Not too much, but it kind of bugged me. <laughs> Don't let it upset. Uh, yeah. Now. 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 <laughs> Okay, so forgetting that, <laughs> there's a reporter there who goes by the name of Joey or Joanne. Yep. Played by Terry Farrell. I thought that was the singer from Jane's Addiction, but apparently that's Perry Farrell. <laughs> yeah, it's. it's... <laughs> oh, moving right along. Moving right along, anyway. <laughs> she's a reporter. I'm here all week. She's a reporter. She sees what's happened and she wants to report on it. Because that's her job. So she finds uh, Terry, played by Paula Marshall, who was who brought the guy into the hospital. And she leads him back to J.P. Monroe at the nightclub. That's right. And then from then on in, J.P. tries to work his magic on Terry. She doesn't want to know. So he has to find somebody else. That's right. And we learn that, that, that J.P. Monroe does the um, American psycho way of having sex, flux in the mirror, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, with a cigarette, with a lit cigarette. That's right. That's right. <laughs> a bit of ash in the wrong place, place could have been disastrous. Oh. I couldn't do. I couldn't do that. The smoke would just go up my nose. <laughs> I'd end up coughing phlegm over it. As long as she kept her eyes shut, she probably wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> anyway. Oh. Yeah, so he feeds, anyway, he feeds, tries to feed Terry to Pinhead, who's still in the statue, but he cocks it up, and Pinhead, in his rage, takes JP instead of Terry. Well, Terry actually knocks out JP and then rolls him towards the, the pillar. Mm, Pinhead uses his powers of persuasion. That's right. As So JP is the offering, which gives Pinhead enough blood to burst out of the statue. That's right. Then we have a nightclub killing scene when Pinhead goes mad. And this is my first really big niggle with this film. Okay. He's not Freddy Krueger. No. Freddy Krueger in a nightclub going mad. I can understand that. In fact, I'd encourage it, to be honest. Yeah, but Pinhead doing it is not... It's out of character for Pinhead. It's out of character. He's never been... He's not a, a, a slasher. He's not a serial killer. You know, if he kills, it's for reason. Right. Twisted reason, maybe, but reason. Yep, yep. Because he feels he's owed a soul. This time, Pinhead just goes to work in a nightclub. We get the first use of proper CGI in a horror film. We do. With with some ice that stabs somebody in the eye. Yep. And we get, you know, the blood under the door from the outside, so we know that what he's doing in there is ghastly and disgusting. One could argue this is more of a slasher than a supernatural thing, because there's a huge-ass body count. Yes, Yes, again, but it's out of character for Pinhead. It's it, not what he's he's done before. It is. It is. It is. Now, now I give this one mid marks. I would would never give this one high marks. It's an enjoyable watch, um, the weakest of the first four. Um, but I, I want to know your opinion. Do you think it added anything 
to the Hellraiser franchise? No. Yeah. No. This, to me, is... Uh, I've, I can't lay claim to this quote, but I've seen it written down. This is Pinhead for the MTV generation. Yes. This is tying him in with, with Freddy Krueger and Jason and Leatherface and all those sorts of people. Yep. I don't think it's a terrible film. No, you know, no. I mean, the acting is good. Uh, yeah, the effects uh, are good. Are, well, on the whole, are pretty good. Yep, yep. The plot moves along. There's not a whole lot of stumbles. There's not a whole lot of delays. No, um, it just bears very little relation to the two films that came before it. It doesn't have the feel of the first two films. Nope, and it does nothing to advance the mythology. No, I think it feels a little bit lazy with the mythology. They uh, they phone that part of it in. Yeah, you know, the bit that always makes me cringe is there's a scene later on when uh, they're in uh, Joey's dream where she sees her father. Yes. Uh, and it turns into Pinhead. And there's a shot of Terry falling on the floor and Pinhead standing over her with a knife raised like, you know, Michael Myers. And he's sort of grimacing. And I just think, no. You've pulled me out the film now. I'm not really not interested. It just makes it's not what Pinhead would do. He would not attack somebody with a knife. No, not at all. But I mean, some of the concepts were interesting. Well, now you know, Pinhead is different than Elliot Spencer. Pinhead is on the loose. We got to somehow get Elliot Spencer and Pinhead back together and put Pinhead back in hell. But they kind of went. They kind of took the long way around. And the interesting element is the separation of Pinhead from Elliot Spencer. Elliot Spencer is the, is the human side. Pinhead is the demon side, right. the desire. Um, and I think they touch on that in Scarlet Gospels when they say, you know, they don't know if Pinhead is is one man or whether it's been a different demon affecting, oh, a demon affecting different men over the years. Right, right. They they do Which I, they do make that that point. Yeah, and I think that's quite interesting. I think that's a concept they could have expanded on um i would rather if that's what they were playing with i would rather have had more of an origin story on elliot spencer yes yes uh, and i think that could have been great you know i mean they tried it's just not there you know i think there's an idea there and it, they just gave into convention too much and I'm, you know it was 1992 slasher films were on the wane you know freddie and jason were, weren't that popular and i don't know it just feels like a wasted opportunity to me really it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, when you say it like that, I will compare it to the book Hannibal. Yes, that's yes, that's a good comparison. Yeah. I, I waited ten years for that book to come out, mm. and there was there were so many options, so many ways to go with that. Mm-hmm. And he wrote that piece of crap. Read it in a whole weekend. Was so furious. What, killer pigs. <laughs> it just was oh it was horrid yeah. um, and, and it's they they had the cusp of just like you said doing a more of an Elliot Spencer expanding pinhead thingy and they dropped the ball yeah that's the only interesting element of the film to me I think yep I absolutely agree uh, I, th- I think Doug Bradley does it well he plays both roles really well he does you know obviously not a difficult not an easy thing to film when you've got the two heads sort of merging together at the end. Right, right. But yeah, it just, I don't know, they built, if you have that as your core concept, but they've built all this, you know, oh, what's the word, mainstream friendly slasher film around it, which bears no relation to the mythology or the character. Yeah. 
uh, and I hate some of the acting in it. You said uh, it's built for the MTV generation. Yeah. It's, the, it's a quick I, fix of Hellraiser rather than something yeah. you can spend time with. It's so funny you say that because anytime I'm watching a horror movie or a science fiction movie now and I see MTV Studios or the WWE, <laughs> my, my testicles want to retract into my abdomen immediately <laughs> in fear. It, it's like, oh, what have we done? And, and it, that's exactly the feeling you get with this third one is – Oh wait, what have you done? Yeah. Oh, you didn't like Leprechaun Origins then? Oh, hey. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just no. Although Hellraiser Three does have Motorhead in the soundtrack. It does. It absolutely it was, does. I think it's the beginning of this '90s thing where they had you know big rock bands appearing in films. Armored Saint are in it as well, aren't they? They are twice. Yeah, and you you got a bit a bit later on with the crow as well when they shove Deftones and White Zombie in. I think was it in the Blade, one of the Blades where Ra- Ramstein was in? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but, uh, I love that song, the song Hellraiser. I prefer the Ozzy Osbourne version myself, much as I love Motorhead. Yeah, you know. But speaking of Motorhead, the guy who played the cameraman in the film Doc, or Doc was the character. Did yes. You just think that's Lemmy, isn't it? I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he bared a striking, striking resemblance to to Lemmy for sure. I'd rather have had Lemmy in the role because the guy playing it was terrible. His line delivery was just horrible. It was so wooden yeah. and static. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to get an award for that that role for no, sure. No, horrible. Again, not a great. I don't think there's an outstanding performance in it. Doug Bradley's. He's fine. He's doing he's doing the Doug Bradley thing, and there's nothing wrong yeah, with that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. In the Hellraiser universe, that's fine. Have you seen Wrong Turn Five? No. <laughs> <laughs> Do I want to? Yeah, just for a laugh. Okay. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Didn't I tell you? Didn't okay. I tell you about that on Twitter? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you did. I think you did. Yeah. Doug Bradley is a southern redneck hunter. No. <laughs> uh... <laughs> And the woman playing the sh- the woman playing the sheriff in that film, she does adverts for hotels over here. Oh come on, oh, come she- on. seriously! Yeah, and she's appeared in like TV soap operas and things. She oh plays God. this southern sheriff. Oh. It is one of those films where it's it is so bad it's good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's like uh, it's like here. I-, I think it's in maybe it's The Walking Dead where. The lead actor is like Australian or English and talks in an American accent, and one of the other guys is American that talks with an English accent. Yeah, what? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't remember if it's Walking Dead or not, but I love it when that happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You get a big, big chuckle out of it. But, uh, yeah, uh, as much as I love Doug Bradley as Pinhead, you know, when he puts on an American accent, like in Wrong Turn 5, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I gotta go. go honestly, and I don't know whether it's it's because I know he's Doug Bradley, and I s- expect that pinhead voice to come out of him, but it really is painful. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I understand why they put him in that role just to get people in, and it's Doug Bradley. We, you know, people will come. Hellraiser fans will go and see it, but oh, dear. Anyway, all right. Hellraiser three. Uh. Are you going to give it a score out of yeah. ten? I, I I could go with a five or a six, maybe. Going with a five or a six. Uh, yeah, I'll go with a. I'm going to go with a five. I think five out of ten for me. Yeah, you know it, it's I, fine, I, but 
I think the, the pinhead bits carry the movie and kind of kind of keep it going. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the uh, the 2K restoration from Arrow will look very good because it is there are some good looking scenes in that film. Are they going right from a negative, or are they doing a some other I way? I don't know. Neither do I. I wish I knew more about that stuff. I know. I wish I did. Uh, when I get the press release, I'll let you know. But yeah, okay. Let's move on. Then one more to do from 1996: Hellraiser 4, Bloodline. Bloodline. Far from Earth, but frighteningly close to hell. (laughs) A new dimension in terror. Nowhere to run, no escape. Has a very familiar face. I am forever. 500 years ago, a mystical box was created. The key that unlocked the door to absolute evil. Oh my god. From one generation to the next, the descendants of its creator have been cursed. Kill them all. Now, the evil must be stopped to close the gates of hell forever. Welcome to Oblivion. Hellraiser Bloodline. Yeah, much better so. than Hellraiser 3, at least Let's I have thought a little, so. a little bit of fact behind it. Okay. Director. Which director Let's do you do think it. it is? Is it Kevin Yeager or is it Alan Smithy? No, I'm not do know, looking. Do you know who Alan Smithy is? Um, I don't know. What do you think? Alan Smithy is a Hell fake no. name. When a director basically takes his name off of a film, uh, which Kevin Yeager did, uh, they just credit it to Alan Smithy. Yes. If you look up up films directed by Alan Smithy, you'll see loads. (laughs) And it's not a... (laughs) Really? I did not know that. That is hilarious. Maybe. I don't know. I'm going to look this up. But yeah, basically, Kevin Yeager, who is a special effects guy, he did the special effects for Nightmare on Elm Street 2, 3, and 4, I think. Um, He directed Hellraiser 4, and... His original film was butchered by the studio and all that sort of stuff, and he basically wanted his name taken off of it, which they did. So when you watch the film, you will see the name directed by Alan Smithy, but that is just a pseudonym that is used when a director takes his name off of a film. (laughs) That's class. I love that. That is absolutely class. Try and find a list of films directed by Alan Smithy. Have you got them? I got them right here. I do. <laughs> Hold on a second here. Mm. Let's see. He's very pro- prolific. He has directed 81 films. Okay. Behind the Wood, The Making of Wormwood, Another Night of the <laughs> Living Dead. Well, I don't blame Alan, Alan Smithy for that one. Um, Tom Toll on the Scrap Heap, Worm, Neil Wolf. Oh, God, there's a lot of shit movies here. Beach, Beach Cops. <laughs> <laughs> Streetwalkers three. Oh god! Twilight Zone the movie. 
<laughs> I don't know about that far back in history yet. <laughs> Whitney's Houston's fair, greatest hits. Wad, <laughs> the life and times of John C. Holmes. Did you know? <laughs> Heat, the Robert De Niro, Al Pacino film, directed by Michael Mann. If a film uh-huh. is re-edited for television, then they sometimes use Alan Smithy as a director's name on there. And Heat Heat is one of them. So is Meet Joe Black. Really? And The Insider. I don't know. Why do they do that? Is it only in the Uh, U.S. or is it worldwide when they do that? Uh, It just says, The following films were credited to their actual directors during theatrical runs. When re-edited for television or for other reasons, the Smithy credit is used. So there you go. If they change something, I think it's... Isn't there something in films when a director has to direct a certain percentage of the footage to get a credit? It, yeah, yeah. The, and we've got some so of those crediting things over here in the US. And they edit over a certain amount. I imagine they have to put another credit on there. I imagine that's what it is. I guess. I don't know. Anyway. But yeah, Hellraiser I don't 4, know either. Bloodline, falls into this category. Because the original film was uh, mucked around with so much. But anyway, let's go in there. Directed by Kevin Yeager, written by Peter Atkins again. Starring Bruce Ramsey, Valentina Vargas, Doug Bradley, Charlotte Chatton, Adam Scott, Kim Myers... Uh, and lots of other people you faces you may know okay we've essentially got three films here haven't we it's a film split into three we have the past the we present do. and the future of the yes, Bruce Ramsey character absolutely. who is le, le merchant or merchant as he becomes uh, yeah initially we're in yep. space yeah, of course yes, that's we do. all good franchises go when there's nothing left in the in the ideas pop that's right. Hey, even Leprechaun, even did, Leprechaun did it. They haven't done it with Nightmare on Elm Street yet. I'd like to see that. <laughs> I did. You just said it out loud, didn't I you? I did. <laughs> Bastard. I, I, I blame, I blame you. <laughs> they did, they did yeah, a... Jason X. Did they do a Jason in space? I'm sure that's what yeah, Sean that's Cunningham right. had in mind when he did the first film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sure you're right. We're in space. With, uh, yeah, so we start in space. Absolutely. Mr. I can't remember his first name. It's Merchant, isn't it? Doctor Merchant or something. Played by Bruce Ramsey. Uh, something is, along those lines. All his uh, robot equipment is solving the puzzle box to bring to bring Pinhead aboard his spaceship with That's the right. intention of killing the demon once and for all. But he is the right. ship is boarded by. Uh, some sort of military presence who tell him, no, you can't do that, stop it. And he begins to tell his story of his family's uh, uh, bloodline. So that, we're transported back that's to, right. is it the 18th century? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, his ancestor, I think so. Philippe Le Marchand. Do you like the little French accent there? Is he? No, no. I can't it was very that. good. I could have done it. Yeah, you're Remember, I live in North Carolina, so... <laughs> Anyway, exactly. we're in Paris, France, 18th century. Philippe Le Marchand is a toy maker who's been commissioned to make the puzzle box from the Duke de Lille. I think that's how it's pronounced. That's right. De Lille. Yes, played by Mickey Cottrell. Um, go on then. I have, I've got to ask mm. a question here. He makes the puzzle box. In your mind, is the connection clear between the puzzle box and how it gets to be... No. The puzzle box. <laughs> Neither am I. Neither am I. I, I, I watched mm. it again this morning. And 
I, I still couldn't. Yes. They they resurrect the demon, not not to jump ahead, but they they re- re- resurrect Angelique, oh, and <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and there's a puzzle box sitting there, but there's no. Did did you ever? I just didn't get where they made the jump to puzzle box in all lowercase I letters to the puzzle box we're all just capital letters. To take it as read that he's made this box from the instructions of the Duke because we see a little flashes of like drawings or yes. something we, that he's giving him uh, the Duke is obviously yes, a, a Satanist did. or a cultist uh, and has decided this is how we open the portal to hell this is what I need you to do um, yes it's possible that there could be footage that was cut out because apparently in the full version that was filmed this 18th century section is a lot longer there is there is a work print version available somewhere i have heard on youtube there are really sections. it's all in bits it's not in one little film oh wow that sounds yes. like an unproductive afternoon you know, if i could get searching a full for me version of the original work print then that i th- i'd love that i think in the version we've got <laughs> I think we just have to take it as read that the Duke has given him these instructions. If you do make this box, this box will be in alignment with certain forces and you've got the portal to hell. And I think we just have to take it as that's what it is. Film language, I think they call it. Yeah, yeah. Now, up until that point, and even after that point, I still give the movie high marks. But it's just it's that one point that it, it just kind yeah. of always, as you would say, is yeah. A bit oh of yeah, a there's no connection. Really. There's there's no explanation as to why. I don't think that's that's what it's missing. But again, it it could it could be in that longer print. I don't know. It it, it and unfortunately, with the movie where they spent the whole movie yeah. explaining everything or trying to, that's they really missed the, core the fundamental of this film. Really, is it is a film that is trying to wrap explain everything and wrap everything up. But unfortunately, the studios that's basically said, Pinhead's not in it enough. Put more Pinhead in. And I think that that's the problem. Exactly. So I think it, Kevin Yeager yeah, had to cut yeah, the big I think chunks right. of detail out to squeeze Pinhead in. It almost suffers, not as bad, but it almost suffers from the Rob Zombie disease of House yes. of a Thousand Corpses, where it's essentially two movies. Yes. And there's no connection there. This no, this no, is no. not as yeah, flagrant idea, yeah, as that. But but certainly that that first bit is all good and well, but it doesn't fully connect the mythos yeah, like the connect. middle bit and the Rob, end bit trying to Rob do. Rob Zombie has said that there's about yeah, uh, the an dots. hour's footage missing from House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> Just let <laughs> no, it stay No, no. I would... <laughs> Let's I'm not a huge Rob Zombie fan. Uh, I would. Oh, I am too. That I have all of his movies, uh, so I don't, would love to don't see get me wrong when I say that. I think he has said, you know, one day they may oh, be God. a special edition that comes out. Listen, I will buy it. Uh, but yeah, there, I will yeah, buy I mean, it. There's a big disconnect between the setup and the, the final act, basically. It. it yes, and, and it's and you go into it hoping. Reading, hoping that you're going to yeah, get that, and it's, it doesn't deliver on that one part. And based on your Smithy com- comment, yeah. if, I'd, if I'd been the director, I'd done the same thing. If you, uh, Screw I you mean, guys. The, the information's up online. If you go to uh, 
well, I said go to Wikipedia or go to any of the reference pages. You know, there's a lot of information about this film. But yeah, basically, Kevin Yeager got screwed over big time, I think. I, I have to, I have to, I have to do that. Now, at one point months ago, you told me you were going to look at yes. getting Leviathan. Yes. Did you get it? Uh, Does it talk well, about I, any oh, of this stuff? Well, since I've watched it, it doesn't go into it in the main documentary. The main documentary is just Hellraiser 1 and 2. Okay. Uh, I okay. think, going from memory, the bonus disc goes into the sequels a bit. Uh, there is some information, but okay. I don't think it's very detailed. To be honest, I say it was months ago. I can't remember that much. But there is information there. So, okay. So, yeah. so we're in the latest film. Excellent. But, you know, so, so, we, so we have that. Yes, we have the, the demon, who is a demon Angelique. It's established that she is a, a, a an ancient demon. That's right. Yes. A princess. A princess from hell. She flits about for a couple of hundred years with the assistant to the yes, they kill the occultist duke. Uh, duke. They kill the duke. Um, there's some other bits in there about you know Le Marchant spying and seeing what he's done, and there's some curses. Bloodline curses uttered there that it, there's not much of a connection. They kind of spew out a few things to kind of carry it forward, but they didn't. That, that's the big nickels. That really, when I when I think and talk about it, they didn't develop a lot of things they said in that. No, um, in that it's first laid act. down fairly early on that you can resurrect a demon, and that demon will be under your control yep. as long as you don't stand in hell's way. Yep, which is never fully developed. Correct. I think that's more of a plot point just to get rid of Jacques, as he's called, later on, when he tries to stop Angelique going to America. Um, but yeah, basically, they, they kill the Duke. Yes. Jacques and Angelique it... live... She gives Jacques immortality, basically, and they live a couple of hundred years until we're in uh, modern-day America. Where? That's right. Is it England? Well, we're not... We're in England. Oh, or so, France. Sorry, yes. Well, yes. we're there in France, and she wants to go to America and... And he says no, and then he's like, oh, wait yeah, a minute, he's, I he's changed my become, mind. And, you know. backs down when she <laughs> threatens him. Which makes me think, if you've lived with someone for about 200 years, and that's the first thing you've disagreed on, has, has, has he not has he not, stood not in her bad. way before that? <laughs> but anyway, yes, in modern day <sighs> America, the descendant of um, Le Marchand, who now is called John Merchant, I think, still played by Bruce Ramsey. He's an architect. He's an architect who has designed uh, yep. a big building, which incorporates the uh, puzzle box design. And Angelique is seeking him out. Obviously, Pinhead is involved now. Uh, she gets somebody to open the box yes. in America because she just walks into the uh, the underground car park. Punches a hole in the wall and magically pulls the box out. Which isn't well. It, it's a, it's a time for the last film, right? Isn't it? Because it, it, it yes, um, it would have been better if she punched it in the ground. But you know, because yes. in the last film it was buried. Yes. The ending scene of Hellraiser site. Three, so, we see I mean, the it's box not buried in concrete, and then on top of the box, on top of that concrete, a big yes. building was built we're now in that building um i'm sure well, right. i would have thought one of the builders would have noticed a big box when he's laying down the concrete when you yes so she op- she gets somebody to open the box which brings pinhead into the modern world we find out that pinhead and angelique knew each other in hell 
which sort of throws into question the mythology yes. set up in the second film. If Elliot Spencer became Pinhead in the World War One years, which is the early 20th century, how can Pinhead have known Angelique for thousands of years in hell? Which gives further evidence to the proof Who that knows? Pinhead is, is a demon infecting different bodies, maybe. But again, it's never really hammered home. That's right. Just one of those things. But anyway, so we've got that going... And uh, then we see Pinhead and Angelique trying to manipulate this John Merchant to create this laser light show that will permanently open the gates of hell for Cenobites to roam yes, free on the earth and cause destruction. Him. So Pinhead kidnaps his son and all of course. sorts of things go on. We see a couple of – we see at least one oh, new Cenobite being born, the twins. Two become one, so to speak. Yep. They're fused together by Yes, Pinhead. exactly. Uh, that's right. <laughs> the chatterer dog. We got the dog in this one. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, we do get that the wife is able to oh, banish uh, Cenobites using the box. She's from Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yeah, looks like yeah, a young Meryl yeah. Streep. Yes. Somehow right. she magically can figure out how to do this. Because and, before uh, it took the most determined looking for the most disgusting things to, to open the box. But now anyone can do it. Right. Yes. Anyone can close the box. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I mean, you can, again, yes. see that the movie was shred to bits. Um, the more you talk about some of the, the little nuances and things that happen, you, you start to realize this movie really was kind of mm. kind of shred to bits. But I will say this. It moved the mythology along. It expanded it nicely. It brought it into modern day. Um, yes. And, and okay. made for a good, uh, a good movie. After that middle bit, we end up back in space, though. That's right. He's finished his tale. Pinhead um, appears. Nobody believes him, of course. And then, you know, Pinhead's there, and some idiot, of course, no, lets him out. Dear. There's always that idiot. You know, Pinhead is out, and, and we get that nice little twist at the end. I thought that was uh, that was always good, is the little hologram where the guy's not on the ship, and he creates the reverse light show in space, and Pinhead exactly. is killed. Pinhead realizes he's been trapped in a giant puzzle box, which is then blown up. Wouldn't you have just loved, just before it That's blew right. up, for Pinhead to look to the camera and just go, oh, bollocks. <laughs> something like that exactly something perfectly <laughs> yeah. English but yeah, that's Hellraiser 4 basically it gives you the history of the box uh, gives you a little up to date story and then we see the end of Pinhead in the movie universe at least anyway and uh, but at the end of the day it had some decent acting mm-hmm. uh, Pinhead, was, Pinhead yep. was good like ju- Angelique was good as a character it- <laughs> <laughs> but I think overall they did a, for as much as it appears the film was dissected, mm-hmm. um, they did do a, a decent yes. job of yes, moving absolutely. things forward. What did you think of Pinhead's makeup in this film? It was all right. Yeah, not quite. I I, I, no, I, I don't think it was up to no. to stuff from as, earlier as movies. The films went along. I think that the makeup got a little bit too. I don't want to say the word polished because it's not polished. But do you know how Freddy Krueger's makeup changed? So by the end of the, oh, yeah, the fifth yeah. film, you know it looked like a mask. And I think that's what we get right. here. I don't know. It just doesn't look right to me. It certainly is not on par with the first one where it's definitely 
you know, poor Doug Bradley sat yeah, for five yeah, hours in looks, a chair to get this done. Well, it could be just, I mean, it could be lighting, it could be all sorts of things, but it just, it looks slightly off. But there we go. And, and you're right, it could be just the whole direction and yeah. the lighting and and, that, and maybe bits were chopped out and shots were, But I think, you know, I think Hellraiser 4 is an entertaining horror film. It is, it absolutely is, and it's, especially for fans, yes. it moves things along. Yeah. Definite improvement over I mean, three. It, Absolutely, absolutely, and probably the last great Hellraiser yeah, of the yeah. series. Oh yeah, it doesn't get any better you know? after this. No, <laughs> no. But we'll get to that another no. time. But uh... yeah, yeah, and then we'll get to the what can only be defined as the way to keep your rights to a movie by making a <laughs> complete shit crap movie. By any <laughs> Certainly would be. Yeah, we'll get there. So we got four Hellraiser films. We gave top marks to the first one. I went a little less on the second one, but you liked it a little more, I think. Third one, we both sort yep. of hung around the five out of ten mark. What do you give Bloodline? Yep. Um, seven, seven, maybe eight. You know, it's uh, you know, if you're gonna you're gonna take it'd be the first one, the second one, the fourth one, and the yeah. third one okay. for me. Yeah, I'm if I were to rank them, I'm gonna give it seven and a half. Yeah, the yeah there we go. Yeah, we're we're in the same first ballpark. One's the best, yeah. Then the second one, then the fourth one, then the third one. Now, yes. the big question. Here's the big question. Do you think we'll get a movie no. out of Scarlet Gospels? Because no one will have the balls to Why do you it. say that? It's that simple. Uh, they've The Hellraiser remake that's been proposed for years and years, uh, which we may get eventually, I think, unless it's got Clive Barker's involvement, I think you're going to get You'll get another Hellraiser three. You're gonna get a shit movie. Yeah, you're, it's gonna be you'll, worse you'll than get, Hellraiser three. If you look back at the Nightmare on Elm Street remake and the Friday Thirteenth remakes, you know they're not films made by directors with a vision. You know, there's they're they're, they're no. a studio product put together by producers. There's no passion there. They're a yes. product. Yes. Um, yeah. And I I think yeah. yeah. Scarlet Gospels. What I got from it, um, I think we'll do a proper discussion of that when we've done the Hellraiser films, but. As a story, it's got problems, but I think as a, a visual piece for your imagination, I think it's fantastic. Um, the the images that it conjured up in my head. We're gonna have we're gonna have to get back to what you just said about a story. It has problems. <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna oh, have to oh delve a little deeper there. <laughs> I don't know story. Yes, problems, yes, we detail are problems definitely. We'll have to. We'll we'll at some point we're gonna have to do that. Um, you know, it, here's the beauty of Hellraiser. It is uh, started out as a novella, moved into a movie franchise. Clyde Barker took that character and oversaw a bunch of comics that essentially expanded the mythos of the characters even more. It's it's a unique story in that respect. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of graphic novels that I can think of at the moment that carry a story. You have the Dark Tower series from Marvel that expands things a bit, but not to the level that Hellraiser did. You've got the Buffy comics that essentially continue on where the TV show left off, but you don't really get an expansion of the series. But here you really get information. You really get new stuff happening with this whole Hellraiser crazy mythos thing going and the beauty of it is Clive Barker's got his hand in it. So, I mean, it's – and that's what makes, to me, the whole thing that much more special is you've got the creator, the the visionary of this I whole thing, and he's the one still guiding there is it. such a rich mythology there that I think books and graphic novels 
are the way to bring that out because when it comes to films you're going to be restricted by budget yes and by actors and filmmakers and most importantly by studios and the people funding yes it. and i think if you were to build a film based around the scarlet gospels i think a it would have to be a very long film. it'd have to be a two-parter because it, re- it yeah. really is it's in two parts you got the the, the beginning part uh, and the end part schmidt come on yeah. you you without giving too much away you got that that initial mythos expansion and then you've got yeah. the kind of the like stuff say, that happens in up my own head I, I was picturing the story in my head as i was reading it and i think if they were to put on screen what i was thinking it it just wouldn't be done it would be too much it's it it would be one of those where you would have to do a lot of tasteful cgi kind of things yeah and you would have to i mean the way studios think you would have to appeal to a mainstream audience because no nobody is going to fund a hellraiser what is essentially a hellraiser sequel and give it the justice it deserves to make it flourish like the first hellraiser first two hellraiser right and the only way they could do that personally i think the only way they could do that is if barker was involved barker would need to be calling the shots and i don't know if he he's going to do that anymore on a film project yeah i know he's i know he's supposed to be writing a hellraiser remake and with regards to a hellraiser remake i think it is possible it's, it's such a rich mythology that it's possible to approach it from many different directions the main star of Hellraiser isn't Pinhead. No, no, it's it's the box. The box is the star of Hellraiser. Right. It's the constant. It's the one that's in all the the good and the bad stories. It's the thing that's there. So I think there is scope to do all these things. And obviously, when you're dealing with a film, Bloodlines is a good example. You've got a people expect Pinhead in their Hellraiser film, or mainstream audiences expect Pinhead. You know, you wouldn't. Would you? Could you sell a Nightmare on Elm Street film without Freddy in it? Well, no. But the scope is there. You could you could do something based on the nightmare world, couldn't you? For you and I. For you and me and for fans of this sort of stuff, of course we could. We'd go and buy yep. it. But, you know, is is the Scarlet Gospels film going to sell out at your own typical Odeon cinema on a Friday night? No. 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 You know, people, you know, something... If you think about uh, when... I don't know if this is a good example. It's the first one that springs to mind, though. When Romero came back with Land of the Dead, you know, it had been 20 years since Day of the Dead. You know, everybody I spoke to at the time was excited about a new Romero film. It's going to be brilliant and blah, blah, blah. But like all Romero zombie films, it did nothing. You know, at the box office, it just didn't sell. Right. It made its money back for the studio, but it didn't... It wasn't the smack... What you would call a smash, you know, because it's only going to appeal to, to a certain audience. Right. You know, and I think as much as I would love to see the Scarlet Gospels become a, a visual thing, I think I don't think it would happen. I think, to be honest, uh, this may be sacrilege, but I think to do it justice, you would have to do it as maybe an animated film. I think you could do it as a live people film, but you got to balance. It. There's so much to balance. You've got to put some money into it, and you've got to have a director on board who's who's got a vision for it and who's passionate about it. And you got to have where they develop the story where it's not like that that latest Dracula shit show CGI crap that they put out. What the Argento one? No, 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 no. The 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 the, the cinema one for the big theater, but big budget one. Was it I Dracula? Or... Oh, the fr- oh, Dracula Untold. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that thing was a CGI nightmare. It wasn't as bad as I, Frankenstein. That was fucking terrible. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, you, you... <sighs> yeah they tried I, Frankenstein. It just didn't go anywhere. <laughs> Interesting concept. Poor delivery. 
Poor delivery. Keep it as a concept. Yeah. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, that is why I think Scarlet Gospels won't get a film made of it. I'd love to say yes. I don't think it will. Yeah. If, if they can't get it together to put another decent Hellraiser sequel out, I can't see how they're going to do the Scarlet Gospels. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I it just I would love to see it though. I I, I, admit, oh, I would absolutely love to see it. But you know, shit, shit. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not going to happen. No, no. And and I think if if Clive were ten years younger, if Clive were healthier, he may have the the patience mm. to to push forward for something like that. But I mean, there comes a certain point in everybody's life where you just you just don't even want to deal with it. As much as it would be great, you just got more important things to do in life. Right. While you mention that, here's a question for you. Do you think that Clive Barker wrote the entirety of the Scarlet Gospels? Yes. Or to put it another way, do you think that Clive Barker gave the concept of the Scarlet Gospels to a ghostwriter and no, something I th- else was I th- built around it? I think he, I think he wrote it. I think he wrote it at different times in his life. Yes. Okay. Um, it has been a book that I know has been sitting on his shelf in one form or another for a long time, and I think he really wanted to get it out, and probably some of the editing didn't connect things like they should, you know, because you could see some tonal changes between the start of the book and towards the end of the book, and you know, the the end of the book kind of it's almost like oh shit, I got to finish this book. I think he did, but I think it was written at different parts of his life, and I think I think they tried to edit it all together, and he may not have been healthy enough to do a full rewrite. Okay. Um, but I think he did. Is there rumors he didn't? Just things I've been reading online, um, which I know I shouldn't do. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot of things I've read where I've seen people say, this does not feel like Clive Barker, this feels like a hack writer taking a a Clive Barker concept and just things like that really and I just wondered what you thought about it you know and and I think it could be one of those where he was maybe he's more sick than we all know and maybe his partner tried to help out with some of the editing and it could have been a confluence of things I I know what people say that it's kind of like that but um, I think he did write it I think it just may be and how he connected the parts that were written at different points in his life together Okay. And we also got to remember, though, that Pinhead is n- now is not the same character that Barker originally wrote for, no. Hell- for Hellbound Heart. No. The character has morphed. It's a different character now. It, Pinhead appeared exactly twice, I believe, in the Hellbound Heart. One at the very beginning for a paragraph and then one at the very end. Yeah. He wasn't central to any part of the Hellbound Heart story. No. So, yeah, just interesting. I just wonder what you thought. Yeah, yeah. I could see where people would think that. I choose to believe that Clive wrote it. Yeah. But – was written at different parts of his life and trying to connect pieces and and tried to edit it in and shoehorn it in. I can certainly think where where that happened. Okay. I mean, compare that to to a lot of Stephen King's stuff where he starts something, throws it out, does a complete rewrite, and it turns out differently. Yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah, I'm not that well versed in Stephen King, so I don't think I've read anything since Pet Cemetery, to be honest. You're missing out. I probably I haven't got time to read books. I've got so much going on. Yeah, uh, you know what's really 
funny is uh, I've made more time to read books in an effort to get over my hump of not writing anything for a long time. Yeah. And it's it, it does begin to help a little bit. Yeah, it fires the imagination up a bit. That it does. And I've tried to branch out of my reading. I'm reading a Cormac McCarthy book, If It Kills Me, uh, uh, you know, because, you know, you, you, one can't read only horror. I'm try, I'm reading a Don DeLeo book, you know, If It Kills Me, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm reading I'm reading some Ian Fleming at the moment, actually. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 could be a little, he could be a little tough to take. He's a little dry. Yeah, I've, I'm really, I've never read any original Ian Fleming material. I've read most of the original Bond stuff, and it's good, but it's a little, it's a little dry. Yeah, I've got, I've, I've got them. I've owned them for years, and I thought I really ought to read some one day. So I've, I'm reading Casino Royale at the moment. Yeah, what do you think? I'm enjoying it. I'm, yeah, I see what you mean about him being a bit dry, but yes, I'm enjoying. It, it explains all the, the rules of the card game and everything, which I like. Oh, those books, some of those get really crazy detailed, mm, like Moon, like Moonraker. I, I, I mean, because that they had, a, they had, I think they had Bridge in that one. That's it. Yes. Yep. And in Casino Royale, that's where they have. Uh, don't tell me. Do not tell me. I gotta think. Just don't tell me. Uh, Baccarat. Baccarat's in that one, that's right? That's right. Yep. 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 So yeah. So yeah. But I'm quite enjoying the story. And when I've finished that, I've got a book about Charles Manson that I've got to read. <laughs> Why? Because I love. I. I'm, just, I'm sorry. I love Charles Manson. No, I don't. <laughs> um, I love the. I love the. Uh, uh, what shall I call it? I don't know. It's, it's something that's always fascinated me. The whole backstory, yes, the whole yeah. Manson thing, you know that that period of American history, you know. I've always said if I had a time machine, I wouldn't go back any further than 1967. To be honest, I'd, <laughs> I'd, go, I'd go back to 67 San Francisco. That'll do me, and I'll just be happy there. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I just find it fascinating, and I and I read the um the one that was written by the prosecution lawyer, Helter Skelter. Yeah, Lou Bis. I don't remember how to say his last name. name, but yeah, I read that a while ago, and uh, which is obviously, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know the facts of the case, but it was very biased towards the prosecution, obviously. So I've got, sure, I've sure. got another one now that's written by somebody else, which I found in a shop not so long ago. So I'm going to read that, and also there's a Manson film coming out in a few months' time called House of Manson. Oh, well, hopefully it's better than that Vanderbeek thing. Oh, the Manson family. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. I get some enjoyment out of that. That was a weird one. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think you've got to be a little bit, um, uh, maybe have a little drink or something before you watch it, or a little drink or five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I, just, I find the topic fascinating. I love that sort of distortion of the American dream type thing. Ah, you know, I love all that. Yep, yep. But uh, okay, well, I think we've done our Hellraiser one to four discussion. Yep. I think that we have. when we come back, whenever that's going to be, we'll do. F- five to nine and throw in a few more tangents in between i expect i don't think we'll take as long on five to nine no i think we'll be over pretty quickly on them there's a couple of a couple of good bits of discussion in there though. oh yeah 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 so what's uh what's coming out for you that you're interested in anything coming out that you're interested in uh probably um <laughs> i can't think off the top of my head um well, obviously the Hellraiser box set that's coming from Arrow in a few weeks. I'm looking forward to the new Rob Zombie film when it comes out next year. 31. I'm 31. Really, yes. really excited to see that one because I will say this publicly: I am a fan of Lords of Salem. Yes, so am I. I, I enjoyed it. Yes, so am I. Uh, I've seen some of the the images that have come out, the stills of you know of Malcolm McDowell and all that look pretty gruesome. So yep, I'm in on that, and it's got clowns in it. 
<laughs> it's always, always a source of amusement. Um, and it's Rob Zombie. Yeah. Yeah. What are you? Uh, are you going to head to the Green Inferno? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Are you? I love a good cannibal film, me. I, I, I may try to get myself. I may try and go see it. I don't know um, if it will get theatrical release over here. I don't know if it is. It's in the theaters now here. I don't know if it's scheduled for down here, but um, I'm sure it will get a DVD release at some point. So I will get to it. So what do you, Eli Roth is kind of the... I applaud him for his devotion to horror, but I, I'm not a big fan of his movies. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm just not a big fan. I, I didn't care that much for Hostel one, two, or three. Although the cutting of the penis was awesome, I enjoyed Cabin Fever, but I, I'm just what I do is I respect his devotion to horror movies and everything he does for horror movies. I, I admire that, and you know we we don't have enough of those of those those folks. We're getting more, but we need more. Yeah, you got, you got you got Eli Roth and uh, what's the other guy? Adam Green, people like that. Yep, got Adam Green. Well, you know, and you you do you do you've got you know Adam Wingard, you've got Ty yes. West, you've you've got uh, you know say what you want about Ty, he's done some phenomenal movies. House Let, of the Devils, one of the House, House of the House of the Devils and Innkeeper really House stand of the out. One of the best horror films of the last twenty years. Yeah. Oh, oh God. I'll state that now. It is. Uh, it is an awesome movie. I agree. Twenty years, shit. Yeah. I'd have to ponder that one for a while. <laughs> but um, yeah, back to Eli Roth. I don't. I know he's he's a bit like Tarantino in that he divides people's opinions. But I don't see why people get rubbed up the wrong way with him so much. I, I don't know either. Has I mean, has he ever publicly come out and said something that people have gone, oh, don't like that? I I don't know. I don't know. But I do know from. The bits and pieces of interviews he's given and stuff, I, I equate him with an appreciation of film on the level of Tarantino. Yeah. Is there is there anybody alive today? There may be that I don't know. But is there anybody alive today that is a bigger fan of cinema than Tarantino? I, I don't know. I don't I don't could find one. Robert Rodriguez? He would come close. <laughs> he would yeah, come I know, close. I know what you're saying, yeah. But but I mean the thing about Tarantino is he, he loves horror, but he loves movies. Yes. Period. You know. Yeah, it's it's one of the things. You know, I I'm not going to say, oh, I'm excited. There's a new Eli Roth film coming out. He's not like that for me. He's not. Whereas I would say that about a Tarantino film. Right. Right. Or, or a Rob Zombie film, or you know, uh, do you know what? I just thought, or a Wes Craven film, but that's not going to happen anymore, is it? No. <laughs> but. Uh, but you know what I mean. He's, he's yeah. not Eli Roth's not quite that level for me, but I don't dislike him at all. No. No, and he's very. If you, very, let's, be honest, very, let's be honest, he's one of us. Yes, he's very devoted to horror movies. Yes. And, and anybody who's that devoted to horror movies, which is why I get so conflicted over the Saskia twins going with this mm. WWE thing. Yeah. It's, I, just, it's like they are so devoted to the genre of horror. And, and for the love of God, why would you make a just – See no evil too. <laughs> you just shake your head. I think they do love their horror, and I. And this is just my opinion. They love their horror and all that sort of stuff. But I think when you are a professional filmmaker, and someone comes along at you with a wage packet, waves it in your face, and says, "If you make our films how we want them, we'll give you this." I think there's a bit of that involved. It, it, I there almost has to be. I mean, Every, everyone's got to earn a living. I was going to say at some point you got to pay the bills. So I think you can have you can have your principles and stay an underground filmmaker if you want, but while you're doing that, you'll have to go and stack shelves somewhere to pay your bills. Right, right. So I think there's a bit of that involved. 
There is, and I can only hope that they've got other movies in the works that aren't a WWE Studios production. They've got the talent, because American Mary was great. Absolutely. I hear awesome things about Dead Hooker in a trunk, but... I've never seen it. I've never seen it. No, I have heard good things. So yeah, I think I think the talent's there. Um, so Eli Roth, Green Inferno. I love cannibal films. You know, <laughs> I love cannibal Holocaust. I know whatever people think about it, it's such a lovely made film. It really is. It's so superbly put together. It was tr- it was a trailblazer at the time. Yes, and I and I think if if anybody can bring back that style of film and give it the care and attention that they need or it needs i think eli ross probably one of the people to do it you know and it's one of those movies you should just go into and take it for what it is but people just he's one of those he's like a tarantino just like you said people they get their panties so up far up twisted up sideways that they just miss enjoying the movie yeah yeah that's a hostel one and two i thought were, were good let's be honest most people at the time thought they were good there's only this backlash because of what came after it and everyone goes oh those gore films uh, well you were at the cinema at the time watching it you know yeah yeah the cabin fever i think is perfectly fine i do prefer the sequel which he didn't do but but there you go that the one patient zero uh no the one uh, the school dance thing Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I rather like Patient Zero. I thought that was a very good movie. Is that the third one? Is that the one with Sean Astin in? Yes, that is the one. I've got it. I watched it once. I don't remember it. Give it another go sometime when you're bored. Another go. I have heard rumors there's going to be a TV series, Cabin Fever. Oh, please no. <laughs> I know. Why do they have? Why is it all TV series? I I don't know. I'm sure they're going to make it anyway. Whatever we say. I know. If they can make a buck, they'll make it. Exactly. I mean. It could do well as a, we're going to make 10 episodes and that's it. We're done. Yes. Why don't people do that? Because there's money money to be made. We're going to make 10 episodes and then that's it. Which is why it excites me when people talk about Netflix original shows. They've got a decent recipe and it, you know, they don't pump out shit. They, They make what they want, at least now, and then that's it. Yeah, before we wrap up, I think I ought to say, uh, please go over to, uh, www.ancientslumber.wordpress.com which is my blog which Myron's been throwing a few reviews onto as well Uh, you'll see everything that we're up to on there and look down the links to other work section and you'll be able to follow the other reviews that I write on there that's right other than that uh, it's been wonderful talking Hellraiser I'm sure we'll get back to it sooner or later that's right I hope so although by the time we do they've probably made another film by then It, it better um, better have Doug Bradley in, is all I can say. Well, yeah. <laughs> Go watch Wrong Turn 5. You may change your opinion. <laughs> well, he's not playing Pinhead, is he? Or he is he? As, he might as well have been. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right, we'll wrap that up, and we will be back sometime in the future. Cheers. Okay, bye. Who are you? Explorers in the further regions of experience. Demons to some, angels to others.